Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Before we begin, just a massive thank you to however you are listening to this. We really do appreciate your support. We record the podcast every Monday and if you do enjoy it, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Hello and welcome to the Gameline Wales Online's rugby show going out on Facebook Live and YouTube and a little later on in podcast form. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined by Simon Thomas and Matthew Southcombe. It's another busy day in Welsh rugby, as always. You're probably used to them by now. A team announcement, Wayne Pivak's made 13 changes uh, to his team to face Georgia this weekend. So let's get straight into it, guys. Um, Matt, what, what do we make of this team then? Well, he stuck to his guns, um, Wayne Pivak, to, to give him credit. Uh, it would have been very easy for him to uh, to say, you know, I'm going to have to change my plans here and and go with uh, a stronger team. Uh, he said all along that, that this was going to be the, the occasion where um, he looked at the rest of his squad, um, gave guys opportunities, and I think he deserves a, a certain degree of credit for, for sticking to his plans. Um, I know we'll come on to things in a bit more detail uh, later on in the show, uh, but you know it's not necessarily the way I would have gone with it completely. Uh, and I, you know, I'm sure some of the the viewers will have seen the the piece I wrote earlier this week um, on my thoughts on the whole thing. Uh, I, you know, I thought perhaps there was room to to give the the sort of the first team, if you like. Um, more more time together on the field, um, but you know, it, it, you know, you can't deny that this is a very exciting game now on, on the weekend. Uh, it's really interesting to see, you know, which players you know take to take to international rugby. A lot of Dave four debutants in the team, two players making their first start. Now you can't deny that it's a really exciting prospect now to see uh, to see how these guys go um, on the weekend. But, you know, if they lose again, which is not out of the question, you know, this could blow up in his face a little bit. Um, you know, the pressure will, will mount. But, you know, you've got to, you've got to say it is, it is an exciting team uh, and it's, it's exciting to see what they can do. Absolutely, Simon. I suppose, what's your initial impressions of the team? He was fairly heavily trailed yesterday. So we had a decent idea of what it was going to be heading into today. Um, so so no, not a massive surprise. But, but as Matt says, it's 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 very much a new look team, isn't it? Well, the first thing I want to say, Ben, is that I would like to assure the viewers that is, this is the real me. After uh, after my uh, Twitter hacking incident of the weekend, you might think this is possibly a clone, but no, it's me. Um, I'm happy to be here in my real form and interested to see this team as well. Um, it's bold, isn't it? Um, what it reminds me of a little bit is 2003 when um, Wales were going into the World Cup and they're on the back of, I think, a 10-match losing run. Steve Hansen, the coach at the time, was under enormous pressure. Um, I was basically told that going into the warm-up game against Scotland that if Wales lost, that was going to be his job gone. Um, but he had a plan, a, you know, a pre-arranged plan to look at the depth of his squad, try out a few new players, and he stuck to that team. You know, it would have been easy to sort of backtrack and put the strongest team out to try and secure his job but he stuck to his guns they won and uh, the rest is history you know he went on to a reasonable coaching career Mr Hansen and uh, it's a similar story now because there's a lot of pressure on Wayne Park after six matches uh, on the trot you know six defeats 
And uh, but he has clearly stuck to his plan largely. You know, this was a decision all along. This was the game where a lot of um, new players and squad players and fringe figures were going to get a game, and that's what we're seeing. You know, three new caps in the starting lineup, a fourth one going to come off the bench. Um, lots of new combinations, exciting and bold, but bold in two senses because, as Matt rightly says, if it comes unstuck, well, it's just going to add you know, fuel to the fire of criticism of him. But there's a lot of players that I'm excited to see play, particularly looking forward to seeing Johnny Williams, actually. Spoke to him. Um, he's obviously delighted at his selection. You know, it was a fascinating story. Um, grew up in England, born in England, schooled in Berkshire and Surrey. Played all his rugby in England before this summer. Played for England under-20s. Played for England's senior side against the Barbers. But, of course, that was an uncapped game which meant you're still eligible for Wales, who qualifies through, his, through from his father, who's from Rill. And uh, now he's inside, and, you know, he, he was very much uh, uh, stressing that uh, he considers himself Welsh. He's proud to be playing for Wales, and the full name of Johnny Bledin Reese williams uh, <laughs> says it all, and Ben, you've spoken to him as well. And 12 has been a position that's been hard to fill since Hadley Parks went to Japan, or headed for Japan. Um and now this is a big opportunity for Johnny Williams. Big opportunity in the centre all round, especially with Jonathan Davis having an injury, which might well keep him out the rest of the campaign. So that's one of a number of positions I'm particularly looking forward to see how that Sheedy Williams-Tompkins midfield works. I think that's probably the best place to start is, is the back line. Isn't it? We've got a comment here um, from Dean Williams. says they know, know that the back line is inexperienced, but excited to see how they go, especially, as you mentioned, Williams and Tompkins in the centre. I think I saw a stat earlier today. It's 63 starts in that entire Welsh back division and, and 58 of those come from Liam Williams. <laughs> um, a lot of boys making their first starts. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how they go. Um, Matt, what did you make of the back three? I mean, Louis Rees-Samick gets the start that I think the whole whole of Wales has been clamouring for. Liam's back to, to 15 and, and Johnny Minnickle straight into to the side after being called up earlier this week. Yeah, I think it's a good back three. Um, you know, I think it gives Liam Williams a chance to, to have a run in that 15 shirt. Uh, that he so desperately wants to to make his own, you know, he's made no secret in the past of of him, you know, favouring that position. Um, and I think, you know, as I said in my verdict earlier today, that I think if he plays well, um, it really gives Pivak a decision to make at fifteen because you know Lee Halfpenny has been fantastic um, at what he does, which which primarily is cover the backfield and defend really really well. Uh, and kick his goals. Um, what Liam Williams has over him is that counter-attacking ability, which you know puts fans on the edge of their seat, and you know it's what what everybody wants to see. Um, so it gives him an opportunity there uh, to, to sort of put his case forward um, for the England game. I, I think you know looking at the wings, I think it was inevitable really that Johnny McNichol was going to come in. Uh, same same with both of my guests because they, they weren't going to be called up out of nowhere, um, just the whole tackle bags. Uh, they were always going to be involved. Uh, I think Pivak really likes McNichol. I know you've done a few pieces in the past, Ben, that explain just how important he is to the way that Wayne Pivak wants to play. Um, he played really well for the Scarlets against Connaught. Um, I don't think he's taken to test rugby particularly well in the opportunities that he's had uh, so far. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how he how he adapts on, on Saturday. Um 
I think he'd have to play really, really well to force his way into the side to face England uh, the following week. Uh, but it's not beyond him. Uh, and as for Louis Rees Samet, uh, as you touched on there, everybody wants to see this. Uh, if I just hope that he gets his hands on the ball because you know the backs at large, let alone the wingers, have have been redundant to use Shane Williams's words earlier this week uh, because they simply haven't had the ball and they haven't had quality ball. They've not been able to showcase what they can do. You know, if, if he if he plays well and he sees a lot of the ball, um, it's going to be all about getting his hands on the ball. You know, if he gets as many touches as he can, chances are he's going to do something with it. Um, spoke to Warren Gatlin for a different piece a few weeks back, and he said the magic number for wingers is 15 touches. Um, if they get 15 touches, uh, chances are they'll have had a big impact on the game. Uh, so that's what he should be looking for. Get him on the ball as much as possible. Otherwise, it, it probably doesn't, you know, if we fall into what we've seen the last few weeks and he doesn't see any of the ball, then he's not able to really put his case forward to, to feature later on in this campaign. So, you know, it's a really exciting selection. You just need to see him given that sort of opportunity to, to really express himself. It was a nice line, actually, because Lewis has been on as well talking. Um, it was brilliant bar good piece tonight but just one little thing which i, I don't think to bring it too much he just said that um uh it, it only feels like last year he was playing for his college side and he stopped himself and said well actually it was only last year you know? <laughs> um so it's been a weird one then because it's happened really quickly and he's also had to wait doesn't he because he burst on the scene so fast and within a matter of weeks you know people were calling for him to be in the world side and then he was called into the six nations group didn't get any game time in the Six Nations. Obviously, then you have um, rugby going into shutdown um, with the pandemic. That's his debut against France. Then, as a brief cameo off the bench there, then obviously picks up the shin splint. So he's had to wait a little while. So you could you could tell today how just how keen he was, and um, and the whole nation's keen to see him play. Um, and there's a lot of firepower in that back division. I watched the Scarlets game against Connacht, covered that in the weekend, and. You know, McNichol was absolutely on fire. Um, and the combination he had with Ryan Combier there for a couple of first tries and the way he counter-attacked for the third um, Scarlet try, he uh, he looked like a player really back to his very best. Matt's right, it hasn't quite clicked from an international level. But you look at that back three now, McNichol, Liam Williams and Lewis Reece Samet. I mean, there is pace to burn there and attacking flair aplenty creativity as well and uh, you're right you just want to see them get some ball in their hands and if there is a new way under Wayne Pivak still being evolved because he talked about trying to change after 10 years of a certain style well this is perhaps the first time we've seen a team really in that mould because you look through that side and um, two open sides essentially um, huge amount of pace young attacking minded backs footballing centres. Maybe this is the way, the new way forward. So let's see where it goes. One, one thing to just jump in on there, Ben, as well. I, I spoke to Josh Adams at the start of the season. Um, I think it was after the squad was announced, actually. Um, and he was asked who's the fastest in the Wales squad. Um, and he said it would be a foot race between Louis Rees-Samit and Johnny McNichol. Um, so, you know... That, that's perhaps a sign of things to come and, and the potential that they have. But just as, as a final point on the back line, 
Um, I did notice a comment there that, that reminded me, sorry, I didn't see who, who it was from, but you know, if, if we get bad weather on Saturday, if it becomes a forward-orientated game, or if Wales can't get on top like they have struggled to in the last few weeks, you know, this back line is going to have to play off the back foot and that's going to be a real challenge. Um, and it and it will undermine everything we've just talked about. So it's crucial that, that they get a platform. Absolutely. Uh, one final point on McNichol, and it brings us on to James Botham as well. It's a, it's a comment here from Jamie Phillips. Um, calls it an interesting team, but he asks, is it really fair that McNichol and Botham have been parachuted straight in ahead of the likes of Jonah Holmes and James Davis, who have been within the squad throughout? Obviously, both of them slightly different because as Pivak revealed today, he has been in and around the squad for a number of weeks, albeit not in an official capacity. But besides, is is that fair? Or, or, or what's your thoughts on that? Well, you look at it, you've actually got three people starting this weekend who weren't in the original squad. In McNichol, um, both of them, and also Elliot T. And obviously you've had two starts already for Shane Lewis Hughes, who wasn't in the original squad. So it's been very fluid and... You know, it's been sort of a development as it's gone along and perhaps to an extent a realisation that maybe the original squad wasn't exactly what was required. Um, we'll go through them one by one. I think McNichol, if he had been fit, would have been in the squad originally. He's overcome his ankle injury and come back in. As you say, Pivak, he was important for him at the Scarlet, so you, you certainly can understand that one. Um, he probably would have been ahead of Jonah Holmes in the pecking order of fit. Both of them is a slightly different one. Both of them has only played 13 games for Cardiff Blues. And really up until rugby's return in August, I've been very limited in his appearances for them. And wasn't in the squad. And now he's starting. But then again, he's starting at six, isn't he? So it, it's not a case that um, he, he's playing at seven ahead of James Davis. I mean, Pirak did say today that he could have, you know, he could have gone with um, maybe Tipperick and James. But I, I think in terms of looking for the balance and retaining Tipperick at seven, if you then look at the options at six, if you're going to give Shane Lewis Hughes a break because he, he looks like he's frontline to start against England, if you're going to give him a break, then who else comes in at six? Navidi's not ready after his concussion. Um, Moriarty, you wonder if he's going to be involved at all during the autumn because every time he comes back, apparently he aggravates his ankle. You could have had Wainwright at six, but the fact is out with a little um, knee tweak. So you need Wainwright at eight. So in terms of the options at six, both of them who can play right across the back row and for whom tackling is a huge part of his game, you can understand what that would have happened at six. Um, so most of the, when you look at them like that, most of the things do make sense. But I suppose um, you can, it just shows really that you can start a campaign you, these days, you just really can't be sure how it's going to end up, can you? Because there is such much change along the way. And uh, it will be fascinating, in particular for me, to see how James Bolton goes. I've seen a lot of him coming through the age grade and I've probably seen all his games for Cardiff Blues. And uh, he is an absolute workaholic, a bit like Shane Lewis Hughes. Good over the ball as well. Great attitude. And he doesn't have the worst sporting genes. I, I think I'd be annoyed, Ben, um, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, I know Jonah Holmes was mentioned there. With the James Botham one, I can understand it, and I understood it when it happened because, as, as we've touched on, Wales have got issues there. Um, they've got injuries in the back row, uh, and they probably need that cover. Um, but, you know, Wales have got a lot of back three players in this squad, and I, 
I didn't feel like McNichol was a necessity. Um, you know, what Jonah Holmes will be will be sat there now thinking, well, hang on. You know, I'm sure when he was selected in the squad, he would have looked at this game and thought, right, that's my chance. Um, and now McNichol's been drafted in and thrown straight in ahead of him. Like, I, I wasn't a big fan of that. I, I think I think the regions are going to be a little bit annoyed with the way that this campaign has been handled as well. Um, you know, I, I got the impression from John Mulverhill that he was not overly thrilled with the way that Lloyd Williams was called up um, something like 24 hours before their their game. Uh, I think it was against Munster. Um, might be wrong in that, but I think it was Munster. I was covering it. <laughs> um, and then obviously with the way James Botham was called up, was supposed to start uh, on Monday night, suddenly he's not in the squad. Um, you know, there's this already Cardiff Blues fans saying, you know, in the wake of Reese Patchell's injury coming to light that, that they expect Jared Evans to be called up 15 minutes before their game on the weekend. Um, I don't feel like McNichol was a necessity. Um, I think it's harsh on a few of the players who were in the squad. And, and you know, if you're a Scarlet's fan or the Scarlet's coaching staff, you're probably looking at it wondering, well, you know, was this really re- required? Um, I think it's harsh on, on Jonah Holmes. I've got to be honest. You know, he's, he's not had a lot of opportunity during his time. He's been in a lot of squads, but not seen a lot of game time. And and I think he'll be a little bit miffed at the way this has been handled. I think possibly, Matt, do you not think that maybe this is an indication that McNichol could actually be involved against England? Because if you look, say you're going to go with four back three players against England, you say Ian Williams and Josh Adams are pretty much nailed on as long as Liam shows he's ready and fit this weekend. And then after that, I would probably say that McNichol and Halfpenny Unless, you know, Louis Rizamid absolutely demands selection for the performance to end, I could, I could see McNichol being involved against England, whereas realistically I could never really see Jonah Holmes being involved against England. So perhaps it's just, a, it, to an extent, it's a reflection of that and a reflection of, of how much Pivak does rate and value McNichol. Yeah, I think there's, there's probably uh, an element of of truth to that. Um you know, I've always had the impression that McNichol is is one of Pivak's favourites. You know, when he, he was called up in the past, he was still Pivak referring to him as as Johnny Mac, and you know, it was all a bit matey. And you know, they obviously know each other well from their time at the Scarlets together. Um, so I, I do get the impression that McNichol is is a favourite of Pivak's. Um, uh, you know, as we touched on, he, he there is you know a lot to be said for him being very important to the way Wales play or want to play. Um, so you know. Th- if he plays well against Georgia, wouldn't surprise me if he does get a run out against England. But, you know, I, I, I just think it's harsh because, you know, he, he missed the, you know, it was bad luck for him initially. He probably would have been named in the squad. But, you know, I think Jonah Holmes will probably be a bit aggrieved. Uh, I think he's got grounds to. I, I tell you, one thing you touched on there about suggestion that the regions, you know, wouldn't be too happy. You won't get anybody to say that too publicly in any strong form. You mm-hmm. talk to them privately and, I don't think they're best enamoured. You know, no. you, if you look at the number of players, Wales are getting close, you know, high 30s number of players involved. Yeah. And there's been very few players released back to actually play for the regions. Um, you've got one who looks like it's just going to be the one this week in Georgia North. Majority yeah. being kept. And obviously it coinciding with the time where the regions are not receiving the payments from WIU in return for player access, which they were expecting to get because of the um, the financial problems caused by the pandemic and they're receiving a loan which they've got to pay back, you know, money which they're expecting to see, receive from the union. So, yeah, I mean, look, 
you look at the Cardiff Blues, for a little example. They're missing seven back row players as they head to Leinster this weekend. Three with Wales, four out injured. It's not making life that easy for the regions, to be honest. Just enjoy it. <laughs> so there'll be a few youngsters getting their uh, a taste of uh, Dublin and everything that playing Leinster away from home involves. And, you know, it, it's, a tr- it's a tricky time. You can understand Wales, especially under pressure, wanting to retain players. But then you look at it, especially after this weekend, there are a number of players you would imagine perhaps this will be their only involvement in, in the autumn. Now, if you don't, after this, see players returning to help out the our pro teams, then you know you, you could certainly understand, but they'd be extremely miffed. I suppose maybe a, a, a strange thing is the fact that we don't know who the final game is against. Uh, you know, that might hinder whether Pivac thinks he can release certain players because you could either be playing France or Italy, you know, so it could either be a tough test match or another sort of Georgia-esque development match. I mean, it's going to realistically be Italy, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Realistically. Without without trying to be too down on it, you know, if Fiji going to play a game in this tournament, that's no, been here. You no, know, if Wales lose, Wales lose on Saturday, they could have no opponent. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could that's a well. Scenario. Yeah, I mean, that's it. If Wales lose against Georgia, then if Wales lose against Georgia, everything changes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Okay, let's let's focus then on the front five because that's largely been one of the main issues in terms of setting a platform in the first three games. Obviously, playing against Georgia, you're always wary about what their pack are going to do. You think back a couple of years, um, the 13-6 game in Cardiff where Georgia really did a number on Wales at the scrum. We've probably seen a Welsh front five selected for this game, especially in terms of the props that seems better suited to taking Georgia on in the scrum. Would would you agree, Matt? Yeah, I mean... You put Alan Wynne Jones in there instead of Seb Davis. I think it's a better front five than than has played so far. Um, you know, I think Wynne Jones probably should have started in Ireland for me. I know it's easy to say that after the way things transpired, but I, you know, there were there were a few people saying that when the team was announced for that game. Um, so I think it's a I, and particularly as you touched on, it's a better scrimmaging unit. Um, you know, Seb Davis probably losing a bit of weight. Uh, to, to someone like Alan Wynne Jones, uh, but Jake Ball is is a big guy. Um, you know, Wynne Jones and Samson Lee renowned for their scrummaging. That's why they're picked, really. Uh, although, you know, I think Samson Lee is getting a lot better in the loose um, in the last 12 months. Um, but I, I like that from five a lot. You know, I, I've never been said Davis's biggest fan, um, but I think he has, he's come on a lot. And I think, you know, some time. You know, when they messed around with him in the back row and things like that, I don't think that's helped him a lot. Um, I think he can be a really good second row. And I think Pivak would like him for his athleticism uh, and just what he offers uh, around the field. He's He is probably like, you know, a five and a half. You know, he's not quite the back rower, maybe not a, an out-and-out second row. He's somewhere in the middle. But, um, you know, I think he's got a lot to offer and it's a big opportunity for him. Um, so, you know, in terms of the front five and, and taking on the Georgians, I think that's a probably a better scrummaging unit than than the side that faced Ireland. And there's there's probably an argument if they maybe if a Navidi or a Moriarty was fit and, and you could fit them somewhere into this back row, this is probably the most balanced pack we've seen in terms of having two open sides 
in the back row to really go after the jackal. Maybe, you know, Wainwright, he looks like he could make a decent eight, a test level. But in terms of a, the complete pack, this maybe looks like the most balanced and best pack for Pivac's game plan that we've seen all autumn. Yeah, I mean, if you look, if, you look, if everyone is available, I mean, your back row, going to what you touched on then, I think you're looking at Navidi and Tipperick and then either Moriarty or Faletau. And those would be the four, you know, with like Shane Lewis, who's banging at the door. Hope maybe James Bolton banging at the door for this weekend. So you can see where the, the strength is there. And, and you've got a nice balance with a younger uh, back row this weekend. On Seb Avis, I've seen a lot of Seb, and um, he's been excellent, actually, since rugby returned. And if you look at the Scarlet side, the Pivac won the Pro 12 with, one of the most pivotal fundamental figures in that team was Tyburn. Now, to my mind, um, Seb Davis is the closest we've got in, in Welsh rugby to him in terms of his athleticism. Also, he's very good with the ball. And the other thing that Seb has is excellent leap at the line-out. He's one of the best if I can put it, attacking defensive line-out forwards in terms of looking to steal opposition ball. And his partnership with Corey Hill early season for the Blues has looked really good. And if, if Pivak is looking to play a game where he puts a huge emphasis on skill and athleticism, particularly in the forwards, then Seb ticks that box. I think to have him in that, what you probably need him surrounded with is quite a lot of grunt, certainly in the front five. Front five. And you've probably got that with Jake Ball alongside him. You know, it was Mr. Grunt for me, you know, in terms of, you know, what he brings with his power scrummaging and also the way he hits rocks and more, he hurts people. So you've got a, a front three there, a front row, which to me is a real sign of respect and an acknowledgement of the traditional scrummaging strengths of the Georgians. Probably the best scrummaging loose head. Um, when Jones was number one at the World Cup, you've got a revitalized Samson Lee on the tight head. AD strong in the scrum as well. Um, big opportunity for Elliot, left out of the autumn initially. Now has kind of leapt from fourth at the start of the autumn, if you like, to maybe first choice because he's got this game ahead of Sam Parry. You think Ryan Elias will have slipped on the pecking order after a very tough time out in Ireland. So that's a position up for grabs. And that, I think, looking at the game as a whole, Matt and Ben, I, what I'm interested in is uh, Pivak said he, this was a pre-planned selection, obviously injuries pending. So he, this was always kind of what he was looking to do for this game. But how planned is his selection against England? How firm in his mind right now is he of his starting 15 against England? And just how many places are really up for grabs? Squad players, fringe players who are getting a go this weekend? That's the bit I'd really like to get inside the Pivak mind and know. You look at the centre, for example. Jonathan Davis might not be involved again this autumn. Could this be the centre pairing against England? The front row. Could this be the front row against England? What they're going to do at half back if Sheedy has a really good game, makes things happen. Then the other side of the coin is if these players make things happen against what is patently and obviously a poor Georgian team, which it might turn out to be because they haven't been great in their games so far against Scotland and England that I've seen. How much context and how much importance you place in this game? Either way it goes, it's going to be some fascinating selection calls and decisions ahead of the England game. This, I suppose this is the thing you're seeing a lot of comments here about 
Pivak is being disrespectful to Georgia, naming a weakened side, you know, shouldn't be resting so many players. And there's comments about, do we even know what the game plan is? But as you mentioned there, Simon, the flip side of this is potentially moving forward. These are the sort of players who could implement the new game plan rather than the established names that we've seen for the first three games. Could be a watershed moment, Ben. It, it genuinely could. And it, it, I suppose it, it is like you mentioned, it's that it's that Hansen moment, is it? This is the moment where Pivax, albeit it probably won't be Georgia, it'll be the England selection in a week's time. But this is maybe the moment where Pivak defines what his Welsh reign is going to be in terms of... I don't know if Matt agrees, but I think if, it, if you're going to fail, fail doing it your way. With yeah, the players you think, with, with the players you think can implement your game plan. You know, we're in a place of glory, isn't it? Yeah, you know, as I touched on at the start, you've got to give him credit for sticking to his guns. Um, you know, you talk about this being a planned move from the start, which it was, obviously. You know, I, I don't think he would have planned for the three performances that have come before. And yeah, in my well. book, I would rather, you know, I think it's a desirable quality to have to be able to adapt your plans. You know, there's no way you will have planned for the autumn to have been going this badly. Um, you know, it's it's it, you know it's tough because you know you've got to you've got to accept it would have been easy for him to fold um, and go against his you know his values and his beliefs. Um, clearly, he stuck to his guns, but you know I would you know I think it's good to see if a coach be able to adapt those plans when things aren't happening the way that they were they'd hoped um, and you know I don't buy the, the disrespect line at, you know at the end of the day you know, if, if Georgia were were historically a better side Wales would be fielding a better team you know there there is I think it's more than justified that, that he he can look at his side his squad sorry in an international match you know I remember Warren Gatlin getting a lot of stick for making 12 changes I think it was for the Italy game during the 2019 Six Nations Wales won the game no, as, as as long as Wales are winning these games, then then there's no issue. Now, if they lose and he's made all these changes, then he could have a bit of egg on his face. Uh, but in, until that happens, I don't think there's an issue with it. It could be a very large egg. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's actually a comment. I'll see if I can find it, which is asking our our Georgia of 2020, the the Romania of 1988. Now, I remember the Western Mail front page. Obviously, this is before I was born. Uh, the Monday after said R.I.P. Wales. Um, here's hoping we don't. I was there, again. Benjamin. I was on the East <laughs> Terrace. I'm always there. I was there on the East Terrace. It is without question one of the darkest days I've ever known in Welsh rugby. It was absolutely awful. Um, the whole autumn was awful. Jonathan Davis went north pretty much straight after it, and it was like the world had ended in Wales. Terrible. Um, they weren't a bad side, actually, Romania, that period. Um, and I say, I watched Georgia against Scotland and England. They were pretty limited. They, Wales beat when Matt was out there for the World Cup. That was one of Wales's better performances in an attacking mm. sense of the World Cup. They were very good against Georgia. And if I remember rightly, unpicked them with that line off 10, wasn't it? Just cutting through inside ball. Josh Adams caused carnage. So, yeah. You would think that they would be looking to sort of utilise that. You can you can imagine Louis Ritzamid doing the role coming off his wing quite devastating because I've seen him do that a few times for Costa where he, he hits a ball off 10, just coming around the corner off his wing. 
And uh, if they haven't learned how to deal with that Welsh defensive attack in line, they could be in trouble again. But they're not they're not a fantastic side, which again puts it into another context. If Wales don't produce against them, which actually they didn't do the lot the first time Wales ever played them, when it was the game in which there was all the palaver over the scrum at the end, if I believe. Mm. It was a very, very uh, tight affair. In many ways, one of those typical November games against Tier 2 teams where you, you make lots of changes and things are really uh, stutter along and you creep through. I remember Japan, I think in 2016, dropped goal from Sam Davis to win the game. So you can have that kind of autumn game. And then you can have the kind of where I think it was Tonga a year or so ago. I think it's got about nine, ten tries and excellent. Seb Seb Davis, fantastic in number eight that day, actually. So Mm -hmm. these two, these kind of games can go both ways, and I think it's fairly clear which way Mr. Pivak would like it to go. (laughs) I suppose that brings us on nicely to the final part of this uh, show, which is predictions. How do we see it going? Is the question. Start with you, Matt. Well, it's tough, isn't it? You know, Simon touched on it there. You know, we've seen. You know, much changed teams in the past struggle. Uh, it's very difficult for them to find a rhythm. Um, you know, you, you made a really good point, Ben. Um, these are decisions now that are going to define Wayne Pivak's career as a Welsh head coach. You know, if this goes wrong, it's going to be really, he's going to be in big trouble. Um, but as Simon pointed out, if this is a watershed moment, these could be the players that ultimately take the Welsh team forward for the next four years or, you know, and beyond a lot of them. You know, we got teenagers in this side, um, you know, but something I pointed out this week as well, Wayne Pivak's got a break clause in his contract next November. If things aren't going right now, you ain't going to see the next World Cup. So you can plan for the next World Cup all you want, but he's got to get there. Um, so, you know, just to bring it round to, to Saturday, it's a really difficult one to predict. Wales should win, right? Let's just say that. They should win. There's too much quality in this side. Um, you you would hope that the problems up front will be solved. We all agree that this is probably a better scrummaging set-piece front five um, to cope with, with you know the area where Georgia are probably traditionally at their strongest. Um, so if they get a platform, which they should, the back line should really, even if they play badly, have enough to, to score a couple of tries and get a win. Now, I think Wales will win, and I think it will probably be that sort of scrappy, you know, error strewn, you know, mistiming of runs and passes kind of performance that we can see at times. Um, so I think Wales will win. It'll probably be close. I don't think Georgia, you know, they've shown us nothing really that, that should concern Welsh rugby fans, um, apart from the fact that we, <laughs> we do have a, a history of of causing ourselves a few problems in Wales. So um, I think it'll probably be Georgia might get a score. Wales will probably score three or four tries. Um, so you're looking at something in the region of, you know, 20, 24, eight. There you go. That's a specific score for you. What about you, Simon? Uh, uh, 24, uh, 28, 10, 28, 10 for me. Um, and uh, I was alarmingly close with the Ireland prediction last week. So, I hope I'm reasonably close this time. Then it, we, Wales do win. I mean, would that would that satisfy people at 28-10 or a 24-8, as Matt call, you know called it? Don't I don't think so, mate. Um, maybe a halfway house, wouldn't it? Mm. It would it would be it would be a mare. In M-E-H, I believe young people spell it. Um, you know, one of those ones, not quite knowing what to make of it. 
people would know what to make of it if this young run riot, and they'd know what to make of it if they lose or win by just a point. But I think it'll probably be something a bit more middling. Um, and it's, lastly, for me, and it's funny what you touched on there, Matt, about the legacy. You know, he might have brought through players like Tompkins, Johnny Williams, Will Rowlands, and youngsters who are getting their first chance under him. And they, he might be gone, and it might be someone else's legacy. Um, yeah. I like Wayne Pivak, right? I've always gone on well with him. Good to chat rugby about. And you don't like to see anyone going through a really tough time in any job. And I'd be pleased for him if things did come together this week. But you just want to see a building on some of the little sparks of hope you saw in that second half against Ireland, where you did perhaps seem to start to see some of that attacking fluidity. Without the end result, little sparks of it. i just love to see that. But then it's difficult because it's an entirely new team. So um, it's the most fascinating obscure game of rugby I think I've seen for a long time just as a, a quick point to finish on Ben right William Pivak is going to have to at the end of this campaign he's going to have to speak to the board at the WIU and if not directly they're going to have internal meetings as a coaching staff where they all sit down and assess how this campaign has gone if this Georgia game is the only game that he's won uh, and they've won it by a you know a scrappy performance and a couple of points if his excuse is to turn around and say, well, we might have lost all our games, but at least we brought through a few youngsters against Georgia, that's not going to save him, is it? You know? So the pressure the pressure is on in that sense because, it's, you know, to touch, you know, to answer Simon's point on whether people will be satisfied with the scorelines we've just put out there, I don't think they will be. Um, the only, I think the main thing that's going to satisfy Welsh fans and, and probably the, the hierarchy at the WRU, because if they're not concerned, they should be, um, is a good performance and a comfortable, comfortable victory. Um, now, it's very difficult to, to predict if that's going to happen. As Simon said, it, it's it's probably not going to be a, a resounding victory. It's probably not going to be a, a disaster. Well, it may be a disastrous loss, but we all think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. And I, I don't know if that's going to satisfy everybody, and particularly the ones that are important. I have breaking news for you. Breaking news for you. I've just looked at the weather forecast for Saturday in Tlenetli. 69% chance of precipitation. I'm not sure. I'm not sure sure that's what this team selection needs. I'm not not sure I've ever covered a game at Parker Scarlet (laughs) and it's been dry. Seriously, I've been in this job nearly seven years now. God's own country, Matthew. God's own country. Yeah, that's not good news. Well, with that update from uh, Derek Brockway, I think we'll uh, call it a day for today's show. Um, Simon Brockway. <laughs> sorry, keep getting the names mixed up. Um, so that's it for today's show. But you can catch all the latest news on Wales Online.